Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. This episode contains examples of anti-Semitism and mentions of the Holocaust. Feel free to skip this episode if these topics could be activating for you. Well, it honestly started out of loneliness because <laughs> I was like, cool, there's uh, not very many Jews in this tattooing culture or in my life at all. Because at that point in my life, I was really into the punk scene. And, you know, I didn't know really any other Jewish people, but it was still very much a part of my life and my identity. And I felt very alone in that. So basically I started painting flash that had like Jewish themes incorporated. I also noticed that a lot of, a lot of Judaica, it's like adorned with images that very easily translate to tattoos. Like a lot of these floral patterns I took from like a menorah or like my family's Haggadah, which is like the book you read at Passover. Like those things were already to me, like I could see them as tattoos already, even though I know that's not their intended use. So I started doing that and I really didn't think anyone would get it. I didn't think it would really speak to anyone. It was just like my own way, I guess my own way of journaling because art comes more easily to me than writing does. So I I really didn't expect it to, to reach anybody, but it ended up helping me find community. I'm really, really grateful that I, I took a chance on that. What's up, y'all? Welcome to The Teardown, a podcast hosted by me, Vegas Inc., your favorite polarizing tattooer. Every episode, I sit down and chat with amazing guest artists, and we dive in more intimately on the politics of the tattoo industry, as well as some topics I feel are more relevant in contemporary tattooing. So now that we're all set up, let's get started. Are you ready? Introducing my online pal slash trying to be in real life pals, no thanks to Rona and Ford, Joey Ramona. Joey is a queer trans tattoo artist who has been working in the industry for 14 years, some would say a veteran, living in so-called Toronto. They currently work at Corner Pocket, a small trad shop located on Bloor West. Their hobbies include drawing, painting, and watching cartoons while snacking on copious amounts of candy. And a fun little fact, they really enjoy making birthday cards and thank you cards. Hi, Joey. Hi, Vegas. (laughs) (laughs) You like making birthday and thank you cards? I do very much enjoy doing that, yes. Do you sell them? No, no, no. Gift only. They come from my heart. 
Um, look at me being a little capitalist. I'm like, how do you monetize that? <laughs> like, I don't. <laughs> well, you know, we got to monetize everything as tattooers, right? Yeah, we got to make our money somehow. How are you feeling? How are you doing today or in general? You know, all things considered, I'm doing okay. I'm, I worked today and that always makes me feel kind of nice. And I didn't really get stuck anywhere in terms of the snow. So I'm doing okay. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. I, what did I do today? Oh, I dragged BLM and had a bunch of phone calls. Saw that. Yeah. I had a bunch of phone calls, got ready for this. I did shower. So that's a good thing. Oh, I worked out. Oh, that's great. (laughs) Yeah. And ate breakfast. So that's also huge. Taking care of yourself is a lot of work. Don't I know it? But I haven't been able to drive because my car's literally snowed in and I'm not taking the TTC. Honestly, it's disgusting and I can't wait until I can ride my bike again. In this city? Yeah, I kind of get off on the thrill. <laughs> <laughs> until you get hit and ran on. Well, well I have been doored a few times, so I've learned some cautionary measures. I know so many people that have like been hit by like bikers who have like been hit by cars and either they drove off or like are currently going through a process right now. And I'm like, almost everybody that I know that bikes has been hit by a car or doored. Yeah. Unfortunately, if you're doing it pretty frequently, like it's going to happen in some capacity. So you want to wear a helmet. (laughs) One of my biggest pet peeves are people that don't wear like safety gear when biking. I'm like, you're you just gotta. on the edge. Yeah. Totally. You got to get some lights. <laughs> Wear an ear, uh, like a, one of those jackets, reflective jackets. Yes. One of those hunting vests. So like other hunters don't shoot you by accident. <laughs> <laughs> the hunters being Toronto drivers, basically. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Let's talk a little bit about your experience in the industry. How did you get started? Did you have a traditional apprenticeship? Like... What was it like 14 years ago for you? It was a little bit different. I started working in a tattoo shop as a receptionist when I was 18. So I haven't had a job outside of tattooing for a really long time. Prior to that, I was a lifeguard at the Jewish Community Center, of course. (laughs) So yeah, I started working at a shop called Way Cool Tattoos, which at one point it was a franchise and then everyone bought out of them. But there was a couple around town. There was one in North York, there was one in Scarborough, and there's one in Oakville, I believe. And then one at Queen of Bathurst. So I started there. I was booking people, cleaning, lots and lots of cleaning, lots of getting coffees, putting money in people's parking meters, that kind of thing. And yeah, I mean, for like six forty-five an hour. <laughs> oh my god. I actually do remember when minimum wage was around that. That much. Yeah. Like $7, I, I think. Uh, yeah, I was only exaggerating a tiny bit. I think my hourly rage was like seven fifty. But, you know, at the time, I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever done. So I didn't even care. I was making it work. But yeah, I had been thinking about what I was going to do in terms of my career because I had been in art school for about a year. And they straight up tell you in art school, they're like, hi, class of 500 people, maybe one of you will be successful as a painter. And you're like, okay. Cool, cool, cool. Glad I'm paying so much money for this. You went to art school? Like You went to OCAD or where'd you I go? I did. Yeah, I went to OCAD. You're an OCAD person? Yeah. Wait, did you graduate? I did. It took oh, me wow. seven years <laughs> <laughs> to get my BA, but I did it. 
Wait, wait. I can't believe you're an OCAD person. I know. I love meeting y'all who are in, who are tattooers because either you don't graduate or you do and you hated it. Or you hate hate it both ways, (laughs) right? (laughs) Yeah, it was an experience. So I I got this job at at the tattoo shop. I wasn't expecting to get that job. I applied and I was like, oh, I'm sure hundreds of people applied for this. I think they picked someone kind of on the young side because they knew I would find it super cool and like a little bit easier to manipulate. (laughs) I was just going to say to manipulate you. Mm -hmm. Totally. So yeah, I had been working there for a few months and I thought to myself at at some point, I was like, oh my God, tattooing would be it. This could be the thing for me. I'd love to do it. So I approached the owner and I was like, Carl, I want to learn how to tattoo. And he was like, no, I'm not going to show you. Pardon? (laughs) He's like, nah, I've apprenticed enough people. Now's not a good time. And I was like, okay, back to the drawing board. So, you know, I, I kind of groveled for like a couple of years until I eventually wore him down. At one point he was like, fine, I'll apprentice you. So years. Yeah. It was actually two years from the time that I started working at the counter to the time that I started learning how to tattoo. You know what? And I would just say this, and this might make me sound old and and a little disconnected. <laughs> I feel like, like now nowadays, it's very hard to get an apprenticeship, of course, and the inaccessibility. So, like, just removing all the nuances of that for a quick second, people will apply to one tattoo shop and be like, "Oh my god, it's so hard to get into it." And here you are asking the same person working for seven dollars an hour for two years to get into it. I was dedicated. I've never been more dedicated to something in my life. I was so dedicated that I I did piercings for two years. You were a piercer? I was. I don't even want to say, I don't want to say I was a piercer. I did piercings. <laughs> and I don't mean to disrespect piercers because like it's a hard job in its own way, but it was definitely not what I wanted to be doing. And like full disclosure, I was pretty bad at it. I only know a few piercers or have relationships with a few. One is Terry Dactyl's partner. Oh yeah, like the sweetest, nicest person ever. Like both my favorite couple, we stand. And Nico is just like the sweetest person and like takes the craft very seriously. Yes, that's the first person I thought of when we were having this discussion. I was like, I don't care about offending anyone except Nico. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure they won't feel offended because now we're just like, they're amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Nico, a friend of his. And then one other guy, the friendly neighborhood piercer from Black Pearl. I I don't know if anybody knows of him, but I like highly recommend him. He's like super nice and kind, like so far removed from like piercers who have like, don't give a shit whether it hurts or not. And it's like, you need to sit down. I got other people to do. Like he'll literally sit there and make you feel so comfortable. Anyways, I'm on a tangent, but piercers do a whole other thing that I am unprepared to learn about equally. I used to <laughs> pierce myself with a sewing needle. So take that as you will. Okay, wait. So you were piercing. Yes. At, at 18 as well. I was like, not in my prime at 18. I made a lot of mistakes. I dropped a lot of beats. I heard a lot of people. Did you reuse them? <laughs> no, <laughs> I went through them. so many damn beads and I kept dropping all of the tapers down the sink in the scrub station. I went through like 400 tapers. Oh <laughs> You're like, at this point, it'd be cheaper to just teach me how to tattoo. Seriously. I was like, <laughs> You're this losing is money. Better here. investment for y'all if you teach me how to be a tattooer. 
So that happened. You wore him down. And then what was like the apprenticeship process like for you? And did you know what style you wanted to do? Um, I didn't. The person who taught me, he's been tattooing for, I mean, now he's been tattooing for like over 30 years. So yeah, he started in the 80s. And he, back then, there wasn't so much of a style emphasis. You know, you kind of just did everything. And the odd person would emerge with a style like, you know, someone like Paul Booth or whatever. But otherwise, like you didn't really have like industry names that stood out the way that they do now. My teacher basically said to me, like, I'll teach you the meat and potatoes of tattooing. That's literally what he said, which I like. And then, you know, once you're off on your own, you can work on whatever you want to hone in on. But I'm going to teach you how to do a little bit of everything. So that's what I did. I, I luckily got to skip the cleaning phase because I was already doing that. So my apprenticeship was luckily a little bit shorter than they tend to be. But I still went through the same process as like one of the first things he did is he took apart a tattoo machine, scrambled all the pieces, and he was like, there you go. <laughs> There's your homework. So, some real t- tat rad shit right there. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I did not get it. It did not go well. Well, did he at least teach you how to build it first? Uh, no. Me being the smartass that I was, we used to get Icon, the Icon magazine. I think it was, it was called Machine something. And I'd, I'd read it and be like, oh, yeah, I could do this. And he was like, oh, you can do this, huh? Here you go. And it turns out I could not. <laughs> so so it took a while before I was able to put it together and make it run. Was that the machine you had to use? No, luckily. Like it ran, but I wouldn't put it to anyone's skin. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So you did that for a while. How long were you there? And like, when did you kind of, because you've also like somebody that's done conventions and stuff too. Yeah. So because I had never worked at another tattoo shop, like Way Cool was my only tattoo shop experience. I worked at Way Cool for seven years I think my my entire Way Cool experience was from like age 18 to like 27. I worked there until it closed. And partly it was because my experience there, it, it was very traditional in the sense that like I was kind of taught that that's what I was supposed to do, like be loyal to that shop. So like I didn't do guest spots, I didn't do conventions, I worked, I put my nose to the ground and worked there. It wasn't until the shop literally closed that I was like, shit, (laughs) I have to find a job somewhere else. And like, I don't know any other tattooers really. And that is how we ended up at Adrenaline. Oh, you're I was. Oh my God. Why am I just learning all this (laughs) stuff about you? Like, forget the topic. We're just going to learn about like, wait, so you worked at Adrenaline. I did. So after Adrenaline, I moved to Vancouver and I worked at Adrenaline out there for like three weeks. And then I got a job at a shop called Funhouse. And then Vancouver wasn't doing it for me. So I came back to Toronto. I worked at New Tribe for two months and then I got a job at Passage. And then from Passage, I went to Lost Boys and then from Lost Boys to Under My Thumb. And then I was at Under My Thumb up until pretty recently. And then now I'm at Corner Pocket. So it's like you've bounced around a lot, but like not really at the same time. Honestly, the only shop that I didn't put real time in was New Tribe. And that was because I happened to have got the offer for Passage and it kind of suited my 
personality a little bit more. I was kind of losing it with the <laughs> <laughs> with the level of like at New Tribe, I was doing like nine tattoos a day. And that's great, but like I don't have the nerves for it, you know? I'm mm-hmm. a soft little egg. <laughs> it was wearing me down. <laughs> New Tribe has a bit of an aesthetic though. I'm surprised that they because I see your style now, but like being a, you know, a vet, you did everything. So I'm assuming you were just doing a lot of Pinterest. Oh, type. yeah. Yeah. I was doing everything at that point. You know, smoky, wispy thingies and lots of lettering, <laughs> various Pokemon, which was actually probably on the super fun end of walk-ins. Tons and tons of lettering at that point. Yeah. I feel like there's a point in everyone's, well... Uh, not these days, but everyone's career where lettering was like a solid couple years. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. That's where I got my, learn how to do my crispiest lines. Which Same. Is like so much lettering. Yeah. It's really, it's good. Like when you have to do some like typewriter font on someone's ribs, like I can't think of anything that has like upset my nervous system more than that. <laughs> it's the hardest thing. It's Super the hardest thing. Hard. I think like it's so easy. Ugh. I don't want it. Yeah. I can't go back. so how did you come into being like an artist I guess you kind of said that already you went to art school was just like you just want to be a painter yeah I really didn't know at the time like you know when you go into art school you're 18 some people were 17 you know I didn't know myself at all so I just went in there and I was like yeah art's cool I'd love to do art and like all of my high school prerequisites were all like, like I took dance and guitar and life drawing. I didn't take any <laughs> science or math classes. So like I kind of pigeonholed myself pretty early on in my career. <laughs> it was like art or die. Basically, yes. <laughs> like, I, I was like, I don't think I'm going to be in a professional punk band. So <laughs> we're going to go with art, which has like maybe 2% more opportunity than music. <laughs> I mean, you've you made a pretty successful career for yourself, so... Yeah, tattooing worked has out. been an absolute godsend, for sure. The topic of today's episode is spirituality and tattooing. I mean, I chose you to be a part of this because, I mean, you are very openly, obviously, Jewish <laughs> online. We oui, we oui. And... Yeah, (laughs) it's incorporated in everything you do. Yeah. (laughs) And it's also like Judaism. I'm like very ignorant about like all religions really other than like maybe Christianity because I think I was like kind of raised Protestant. By that, I mean when my parents broke up, my mom took us to church a couple times. (laughs) I was baptized. Christianity. (laughs) Yeah, something. And then my church burnt down. Didn't see it again. So... (laughs) But I don't, outside of like, you know, like white people doing chakras and whatever else, like you don't really see a lot of like folks incorporating spirituality or religion, again, outside of Catholic iconography or whatever in their tattooing practice. So anyways, yeah, this is what's brought me to this episode. So how do you identify spiritually, even though I just said it? (laughs) (laughs) I am Jewish and I would say that I am probably more religious than most of the people I know. Like I I don't talk about it a lot because it does make people uncomfortable and that's not ever what I want to do. But, you know, I have my own personal relationship with God and spirituality that is private, but it is part of my Judaism. And like some Jews are 
very much like, oh, I'm culturally Jewish. It was how I was raised, but I'm not like, you know, praying to God all the time. But it, I have incorporated that kind of spirituality into my life as well. I was going to ask, yeah, because I've heard the terms of folks being like either culturally or ethically or practicing. So there's, there is like a difference. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of folks like, you know, I grew up in a very, I guess you would call it reform Jewish situation. Like we weren't going to shul all the time. We weren't doing Shabbat every Friday. We would do things here and there. We always celebrated the high holidays, but you know, my grandparents are, they were very like traditional sort of Eastern European Yiddish Jews so even though they didn't consider themselves very religious, their their Jewishness was still very much a part of who they were. And that definitely radiated throughout the family. Like I was raised hearing lots of Yiddish words and eating Ashkenazic Jewish foods, doing high holidays with the family. So like that's what I would call like the cultural aspect where like you could you could do all those things without even mentioning God, you know? What's shul? Shul is synagogue. Okay. Yeah. And Shabbat. Shabbat is the Sabbath, so the Friday night rest period where we're supposed to disengage from technology. It's cool. It's actually a pretty radical idea. Like you let go of work, you let go of obligation, you spend time with your family, you don't plug into anything. You cook, you sing, you talk. I think you can play board games. (laughs) And actually sex is allowed in Shabbat. That's interesting. Yeah, it's in the Torah. (laughs) Stop selling me on this. What's going on? <laughs> Wait, is there any relation to Black Sabbath? You know, I, like the band? I do not know. I mean, Ozzy Osbourne, not a Jew, but very well could be. I think Black Sabbath has to do with some kind of like black magic witchcrafty thing. It just kind of sounds cool, but maybe. Yeah. Interesting. I'm sure there's some metalhead dude out there right now being like, oh. Yeah, freaking out. I don't know why they'd be listening to this podcast. (laughs) So there are like different, obviously, sectors of Judaism, right? Like there's like Orthodox or like what are, you don't have to name all of them, but like what is your practice or tier? The tier in terms of like your level of practicing would be like Reform, Conservative, or Orthodox, Hasidic. And like there's difference between Orthodox and Hasidic. And then there are also different kinds of Jews. Like I'm an Ashkenazi Jew, which is basically like a white Jew from Eastern Europe. There are Sephardic Jews, which is like sort of Mediterranean. And then there is the Mizrahi Jews, which are Arab Jews. And even then there are other types of Judaism within those distinctions. How do you connect your Judaism, your spirituality with your tattooing and your art? Like what was the process of you starting to do that? Well, it honestly started out of loneliness because (laughs) I was like, cool, there's uh, not very many Jews in this tattooing culture or in my life at all. Because at that point in my life, I was really into the punk scene. And, you know, I didn't know really any other Jewish people, but it was still very much a part of my life and my identity. And I felt very alone in that. So Basically, I started painting flash that had like Jewish themes incorporated. I also noticed that a lot of a lot of Judaica, it's like adorned with images that very easily translate to tattoos, like a lot of these floral patterns I took from 
like a menorah or like my family's Haggadah, which is like the book you read at Passover. Like those things were already to me, like I could see them as tattoos already, even though I know that's not their intended use. So I started doing that and I really didn't think anyone would get it. I didn't think it would really speak to anyone. It was just like my own way, I guess my own way of journaling because art comes more easily to me than writing does. So I I really didn't expect it to to reach anybody, but it ended up helping me find community. I'm really really grateful that I I took a chance on that. It is interesting that you felt that way because now when we look at your page, like you have so much of that adornments or like so much of like the writing done on clients who I'm assuming are Jewish and I'm like well, what the fuck were they doing before? <laughs> like uh, probably going to people who one, don't speak the language, which is like Yiddish Hebrew or, or Yiddish. Hebrew yeah. Or, yeah. So it's like, I'm sure like for them finding an artist who's like already doing this sort of art must've been like really liberating in some ways and like affirming. And like, you're also just like really dope of a person too. So they're like, oh, cool. Well, thanks. So are you. You don't have to compliment me. <laughs> don't do the queer thing and send me back I can't a compliment. Help it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's like been really cool because, like, also the some of the conversation. Like, I'm on Black TikTok, so everything Black is talked about, and like part of that is like also Judaism and race, in particular, like Black folks and their relationships to it. So, like, I even see like Black and Brown skin, melanated skin on your page, adorned in these pieces, and I'm like, oh, damn. Okay, work. Because otherwise, would like even those folks would want to go to like some random white, like tatter bro shop and get something that's like even similar, like something that is just so like deeply personal and cultural and significant to them. And then like you actively engage in like anti-racism and decolonial framework. It just must be so like such a better experience for folks to come to you. I hope so. I really do try my best to make my practice as accessible as possible. And also, and you know, I'm still learning. I'm learning every day, but Judaism intersects with everything. And I think that in like the dominant culture that we live in, people don't really know that. And so, of course, there isn't a lot of acknowledgement But, you know, I do speak to lots of folks who are, for example, Black Jews, and people tend to not associate Judaism with Blackness, which isn't fair and not true. Yeah, I mean, Black people get excluded from everything. Let's just, like, keep it 100 (laughs) from all the intersection, intersecting identities. But I've seen a bit of, like, what you're actively learning, and you, like, put up these, like, beautiful posts about, like, where you're at. How... Has that process of learning been for you? Has it been liberating? Is it like an active thing that you do? Is it like based on your own like active readings? Is it familial as well? Like storytelling? What does that look like? It's a little bit of everything. I do take a lot from my own experiences growing up, like with Judaism, stories from my mom or my grandmother or my aunts. I also, you know, I learn from the internet as most people do. And I learned from my clients, like I hear a lot of stories from other Jewish folks and that's a really special experience for me. So I try to reflect that in my learning process as well. 
And also I take uh, Yiddish Duolingo lessons now. <laughs> I've seen that. <laughs> Which is... The phrases that you share, I'm like, you're so random. <laughs> they are so <laughs> random. It's very obvious to me that Yiddish-speaking Jews definitely had a hand in writing these phrases. Because some of them are so funny and so culturally specific. Like, why does your mother need so much money? <laughs> what the <laughs> That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch. Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. How did your family feel about, one, your body mods, and two, you getting into tattooing? To be honest, it was mostly positive. My mom and I are pretty close, and she knew how badly I wanted to tattoo. I talked to her about it a lot. So when I got my apprenticeship, the first thing I did is call my mom, and she was super happy for me just because she knew how badly I wanted to do it. My dad is a little bit more traditional and he was kind of like, huh? (laughs) So you're going to be a tattooer. (laughs) First, you didn't want to play football. And now this. (laughs) Wanted you to play football? Oh, yeah. My dad's very, very sporty. And I was always into athletics, like casually, but I never really wanted to pursue it so much. My dad would just be like, ah, damn it. (laughs) In which ways do you, you and your family practice? Yeah, mostly we convene. That that would be the main thing. And I mean, we haven't been able to do that as much because of the pandemic, and that's been really difficult. But like, for example, Passover, that's probably the most significant Jewish holiday, arguably. Jews love to argue, by the way. So any anything I say, <laughs> take with a grain of salt, because someone will be out there being like, no. <laughs> I mean, I was going to ask, like, what is Passover? Passover is the, basically, we retell the story of the Jewish exodus from slavery in Egypt. So, you know, you have Moses, who is, like, in with the Pharaoh, and then he learns from God that the Jewish people, he is, in fact, a Jewish person, and that the Jews are enslaved, and that he has the power to free them. The Prince of Egypt. Yeah, it's literally the Prince of Egypt. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) There you go. We're learning every day. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, plagues, it's like, it's a very metal holiday when you retell it. Like they make all the water water turn into blood and like there's the death angel comes to earth and slays the firstborn sons. Like I actually think Slayer wrote a song about it. So we retell that story and, you know, we all get together and we eat and we talk and we schmooze and it's really lovely. And then as I've gotten older, I've started to practice with friends a little bit as well. Like doing Shabbat dinner or a couple of years in a row now I've done lighting the Hanukkah candles with a friend via FaceTime. 
but mostly with the family. We have got, we do go to shul when there's like an event, like someone has a bat mitzvah or like there's a baby. We do the shul thing, but not super often. You tattoo in what can be identified foundationally as like American traditional. And historically, American traditional is super racist, super anti-Semitic, anti-Asian, anti-Indigenous, etc. Do you see what you are doing as almost a reclamation of that or like a... To reclaim means that to have had it and gotten taken it away, which I guess colonialism. But I guess like, do you see that as like reframing, taking it away from what that history is? I do, because I think that in a technical sense, that's my favorite aesthetic, like bold lines, bright colors. And I see that represented in all kinds of different art, right? Not just tattooing. But I do think there, I think it's okay to take that technical aspect of it and apply it to other things. I do think there's a sense of like, I'm going to take this from like some really shitty places that it may have come from and make it the opposite of that. Like I put a lot of Jewish images into traditional tattooing. And there's also, there is a reclamation in terms of like tattooing Jewish bodies because, you know, there was forcible tattooing during the Holocaust. And now we have the choice to do that. We can do that under our own volition. We have that power to make that choice for ourselves, which I think is, is pretty special. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of images that come out of traditional tattooing that I absolutely will not tattoo or I'm even not interested in tattooing. I like the, the way that you can look at a traditional tattoo from two, three feet away and be like, that's a rose. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Make it black, make it stick, something like that. There's like a whole bunch of slow, bold will hold. There's one of them. Bold will hold. That's what it is. I had gotten recently this like traditional American traditional flashbook and oh, that was fun to go through. Um, It's at the shop right now and we have to like take a Sharpie to a lot of the images. But like, first of all, like all forms of oppression and violence and degradation of marginalized bodies has been like normalized over the years. And definitely even for myself, I, you know, as you come into like a more social and political awareness outside of just you and like intersect your liberation, you start to realize like, oh, damn, I have just been casually transphobic or casually anti-Semitic because this shit has just been so ingrained. Yeah. And I'm just like looking at this flashbook and it's like cute little rose, little grim reaper, Nazi symbolism in a rose. Wait, what? A a white power fist with the Z things with that little S symbols. Yeah. Anti-Asian caricatures. I'm like, Oh, y'all just what? This is the tattoo world you want to go back to. This is what you're mad. Cancel culture sucks because you want to do this. Yeah. It is so disgusting. I mean, not surprising, but still, when you see it, you're like, yeah, what the fuck? What gets me is that you just don't need to do that. Like, you know, obviously, I also <laughs> yeah. went yeah. through this journey of like, I, I didn't know the context of a lot of these images. Some of them were obvious to me from the get go, but a lot of them weren't. And as I've learned and unlearned and grown and changed over the years, I see it, I see more and more of these images as extremely problematic. And especially because a lot of them were created, for example, like Sailor Jerry made a lot of his flash during 
the Vietnam War, like that time. And the stuff mm-hmm. that he drew really reflected that in a very bad way. There's absolutely no need to recreate that, you know, just get a bulldog, you know, <laughs> like I, I look at all the other images that are there that are so benign, like, for example, flowers, you know, a flower is a flower is a flower. So I do think there's a way to hold some of the aspects of those traditions that are not harmful. But like, it's so easy to leave some of the really shitty stuff behind. And I'm not really sure why people are so attached to it. And it just kind of speaks to like how historically how the like American tattooing or uh, tattooing in the Americas, the so-called grandfathers and or originators, how so much of them are just like white supremacists and like straight up like violent and not good people. And like, it's sucks because one tattooing body mods is an indigenous practice. And I mean, indigeneity within like all aspects, not just like North, like American indigenous people, but like black Africans, South American, but like it was co-opted. And then you just have these people who their whole range was just being fucking racist. And it's like, Art has been used in liberation and is part of politics, is so integral in politics or social change and and all that and organizing. And it's like, you take this thing that is supposed to say something and what you want to say is this? Yeah, that's an excellent point. Disappointing, but I mean, you know, white men are mid as fuck, so... Yeah. And, and also it's a privilege to learn about colonization rather than experience it. When I learned about it and I saw very obviously tattooing as a colonized practice immediately, I was like, this is not mine to, to be an authority on. It's not up to me to gatekeep this. It's not up to me to decide what is and is not valid in terms of style, technique, whatever. It's, it's just not up to me. And it's, pretty amazing to when you look outside of that really narrow lens there's just so much out there and tattooing really is a beautiful way to convey liberation yeah and in so many ways right like uh, whether it's like culturally or folks who you know struggle with uh, like being able to center themselves in their own bodies whether it's fatness transness blackness all these things to be able to adorn ourselves in things that make us feel good that could just also be part of like an industry that is just also so harmful but yeah this is kind of like an offsided question feel free <laughs> feel free and we can not whatever but in the torah It says that you are not to be, I mean, this is like for all religions, but like to be buried in like a Jewish cemetery, you can't be tattooed. Is is that like really archaic and kind of just like subjective to whatever? So that one's actually, from what I know, that one's a myth. The Torah does explicitly say you're not to get tattooed. That's in there. But in terms of being buried in a Jewish cemetery, there's a theory that someone's bubby said that, you know? (laughs) 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 so that you wouldn't do it and and i mean again the holocaust changed everything right because you're not going to tell survivors that they're not to be buried in a jewish cemetery the thing is that you're supposed to leave the world in like as close to the condition as you came in a baby yeah yes you're supposed to benjamin button yourself out of here 
<laughs> How am I supposed to lose hundreds of pounds before I die? Yeah. Like, you're, you're not supposed to alter the body, and like, which is why Jewish people don't typically get cremated and why there's no open casket because you're not supposed to put all the chemicals and all the stuff. So the tattooing, like not, I think that that, that just kind of originated from someone who really didn't like the idea and it kind of like people just ran with it. But it, it does say, oh it, it does say not to get tattooed in the Torah, but it also says that you're not supposed to mix wool and cotton. So like, you know, everything has to be taken with context. Like when that rule was written, people were still very much into pagan worship. So there was a lot of theory that that was in there because they were trying to discourage people from worshiping other gods other than the god. I had heard that. And I mean, I feel like that's one of the main things that part of like mainstream media that you hear or the media that we consume. I had also thought about like World War II and I'm like, it was an intentional thing, but like all the folks who were forcibly tattooed, that just was violent in and of itself. Yeah. But it was like, if this is like a specific rule, like there's just so, there's so many continued ways that like Jewish folks are like dehumanized and just experience so much fucking disgusting violence. And I was like, oh no. Now you're telling me the cemetery thing is just something that somebody made up. And I'm like, you know what? That sounds like a grandmother ass thing to do. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Because there's other religions that have like these other saying, like other things that like if you die when you get tattooed, different things will happen to your body. I forget what religion it is, but somebody like I had heard that like when you die and you have tattoos, all your tattoos come to life. I'm like, I don't know if I want like a demonic Hello Kitty haunting me for the rest of my life. I've got some stupid tattoos. I would be in big trouble. (laughs) Right? And I just think about my hands. Anyways. What has been your experience as a queer non-binary Jewish person in the industry? And you kind of touched on this, but like, are there a lot of Jewish tattooers that you know of? I know more now than I ever did. When probably, you know, 14 years ago when I started tattooing, I didn't know any except for like the old, like the Bowery guys. Like there was a tattooer, a famous tattooer named Lou the Jew, because like there were a ton of Jewish people in New York. One of them's bound to be a tattooer. (laughs) (laughs) We do get into everything. So, you know, there were a couple like historical Jews in the industry. So but other than that, I didn't really know of any other Jewish people who are in the industry. And now I know of a few actually. And I mean, a lot of them are in America, but I do know of, of a handful of Jewish tattooers now, which is really cool. We all interact with our Judaism and our tattooing differently, but that's, again, that's pretty on par for Judaism. Every Jew experiences Judaism differently. Do you think there's like an element of, cause with like blackness with black folks and tattooing, I know a lot of artists even now who won't promote like that they're black on their page and like completely depoliticize themselves and just like don't post pictures of themselves because of the very real possibilities and things that have happened that people will not go to them, which one can make the argument like, why would you want people to go to them? And then another argument could be capitalism sucks and we all need to eat. And especially with how like anti-black racist, anti-Semitic, all the things the industry has been. Do you feel like there's like people that kind of hid those parts of themselves? Definitely. Like I know that in my apprenticeship days and when I was interacting with like a lot of 
tattooers who are often like non-Jewish white men, I got made fun of a lot for being Jewish and unsurprising to no one. Yeah. Because it was a thing to make fun of. And like anti-Semitism is really normalized. And also like there is this Nazi culture that intersects with tattooing as well. And like a guy came into the shop once cause he wanted to get a swastika covered up. The swastika was on his shoulder. He had two SS lightning bolts on his face and I was the only person in the shop and like, I honestly didn't know what to do because I thought to myself, like, I'm not safe to talk back to this man. There's nothing I can say other than I'm sorry. Like I don't do cover-ups. I think was what I said to him because I didn't know what else to say. Like this guy had clearly just come out of jail and he's covered in Nazi tattoos and I'm not going to stand there. I think I was like maybe 23 at the time. I'm not going to stand there in the shop alone and be like, fuck you Nazi because like he might do something to me. And I remember feeling in that moment, I was like, this is bullshit. Like I don't ever want to feel like I have to hide who I am. There was another incident once where a guy came into the shop for a walk-in and he wanted a passage out of Mein Kampf. And the tattooer at the time was like, uh, should I do this? Should I not? I was like, no, you fucking shouldn't, fucker. What? Yeah, he got fired. <laughs> okay. Not for that. For that or something, something else. else. Of course. But these situations come up and have come up over the years. And I can completely understand why some folks would be like, oh, I'm not going to lead with this Jewish thing because it makes me feel unsafe or unwelcome or makes me feel like I'm a target in some way, makes me feel vulnerable. So I do think that that is probably true for a lot of folks who are Jews and tattooing. I could see already like comments of folks being like, well, he wanted to cover up and it's like, you don't know why. He could still be a full Nazi totally. and just wants to cover it up because he doesn't want to, to be obvious to the world. And like, what sort of conversation are you going to have with him? Like, especially if you were there alone, no, you have the right to say no. He had a Nazi tattoo on his face that he was less concerned about. The SS. <laughs> yeah. Because that is not common knowledge. Eh? I know. Not a lot of people know like about the SS. This has come up before. Or like the specific eagle. There's like covert Nazi shit that people don't know about. I had to like talk to my uh, artist the other day about it. And I'm like, okay, y'all, these are the list of things that might seem like arbitrary, but like, this is what they represent. Like there's a specific type of eagle. Germany. But it's like a white supremacist representation, the SS. Yeah. So I had to like sit there and have a conversation with them because they also didn't come from like great apprenticeships are taught if they are ever. It's not really rooted in some of the old stuff that I think was important to know. Yeah. Yeah. They just didn't know. I'm like, yeah. And and that's the thing, like a lot of folks don't. And there's a lot of things I didn't know. Like I was doing these, uh, like Tamara Santibanez was doing these anti-racism seminars for a while last year or the year before 2020. Like they had guests come on every week, different people talking about different things. And one person came to speak to the group about Nazi dog whistles in tattooing or white supremacist dog whistles. And I knew a bunch of them, but some of them I didn't know. And I thought to myself, like, holy shit, how many more of these are there? Like, it's really fucked up that people do this stuff. But part of the reason why they do it is because they know that they have to hide in in a lot of contexts. So, yeah, it's really messed up. Like, some things that 
the average person would be like, that looks like a bunch of symbols to me. I don't know, is a Nazi dog whistle. I feel like in so many ways blessed to like that we have now created like a sort of secondary or like alt tattooer community where like we have these shops where we're not always going to be safe, but where it's less likely that folks are going to walk into them and be like, hey, I want this like super problematic thing. Like, you know, for my shop True, like I'm not going to walk up in there and say they, they, they're either they're going to call. I, I got a call. I, we got our first. Can I get a Nazi symbol call <laughs> like a couple of weeks back? Shit. It was like a troll ofs, but like for the most part, they know that they're like not safe there. And like, we're like super like even a cab and we're trying to find ways to like find out if people are cops or not. So we don't tattoo them. I've struggled with that in the past. Yeah. Because like cops are also getting, they're catching on to the fact that people don't want to tattoo them. <laughs> so they want, <laughs> so they don't want to mention it, no. which is weird. Uh, what do you do for work? I, I, um, <laughs> security. <laughs> Somebody, my friend of city had said that they, in their inquiry form, they ask, what do you do for work? Which I'm like, it kind of feels very an obvious question. So if you're telling me that cops are catching on, they might not put it in there, but maybe it'll deter them. If they have to think about it, they might be like, oh damn. Okay. Maybe I should yeah, go somewhere maybe I better else. Just go to the bro guy. My last two questions With your organizing, your volunteering, your politics, like your ethics, what sort of impacts has that had on your career or like on you personally, particularly, I guess, as it pertains online? Well, I mean, there's a lot of humbling experiences that happen because I am an outspoken anti-Zionist, meaning that I reject the state of Israel. That has resulted in a lot of trolling from other Jewish folks, which is a real bummer and it's going to keep happening. And I've kind of resigned myself to like, you know, I accept that because ultimately like I don't support a fascist state. So sorry if you do, you know, (laughs) Um, so, you know, that has resulted in definitely like a loss of clients and a loss of business. And, and that's okay because, you know, I have a ton of privilege and, Losing some of it is a totally fine price for me to pay to do the right thing. So I'm fine with that. And, you know, there's always people who feel like politics don't belong in tattooing or that organizing doesn't belong in tattooing and they're entitled to have those feelings, but they often will disengage. Or on the flip side of that, you'll have folks that disagree with something you say and then you have to you know, reassess and think about the impacts of of what you've said, because anytime you put yourself out there, you're going to make mistakes. So you do end up putting yourself in a vulnerable position. And and that is a position that is a good place to learn from. So I'm going to keep doing it. And how important is it for you to build community with other marginalized groups? And what are things that you think should be an integral framework or praxis? Well, first of all, I think that like all forms of oppression are connected. You know, for example, you can't separate anti-Semitism from white supremacy. It's part of the umbrella. So therefore, the oppression that Jews feel is 
connected to the impression of other oppressed people. And to separate it would also be unfair to people whose identities intersect with more than Judaism. So like, for example, Jews of color, black Jews, to say that anti-Semitism is separate from racism is fucked up. You know, they all belong under that white supremacy umbrella. So it's important to me that my opposition to that, my like attempts at dismantling are based in an anti-oppression framework that's connected with other marginalized people. It has to be. Otherwise, it's not decolonial. It's not radical. So all of those things have to be part of the practice as well, which means incorporating that not just in my tattooing, but in every aspect of my life in any way that I can from like what kind of businesses I support to where I shop to the kind of like, you know, offering sliding scale, all of those things are connected to me. And like anarchism is also connected to that. I mean, we live under late stage capitalism. So like I do have to make money to live in Toronto's a fucking expensive city, but I would rather stand in solidarity with people and give up some of what I have than just try and build my empire and leave behind other oppressed people. That was a great answer. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Words are coming out of your mouth. (laughs) Yo, it came out easily. It's more than just, I tattoo all bodies in fucking bios. So (laughs) we love to hear it. Joey, I'm really grateful for you to have come on the podcast and educate me on a lot of things that like I just have not been aware of. And like just answering questions that are like deeply personal and like I know that that's like also labor in a lot of ways. So I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your experiences, shooting shit. I love talking about tattoo shit. I love shitting on tat bros all day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, thank you so much. Was there anything that you wanted to plug socials, an organization you want people to follow or check out anything like that? projects and things are selling. I mean, I know you told me not to do this, but I can do it anyway. Thank you for having me. (laughs) I have learned so much from you and I'm so grateful that you're here in this community and that you've given me an opportunity to talk and be in community with me. That's really cool. And thanks for asking me to be here. Like it's, it's my pleasure. I was honored. As far as plugging things right now, I I'm really into organizing with the community fridges and that seems like an obvious one for me. You can check out the Instagram CFTO and it will give you the fridge locations. It's a really great way for anybody to practice mutual aid because all you have to do is pick up a few groceries and drop them in the fridges and pantries. And like that is helping your community. And if you want to get more involved, you absolutely can. We're always looking for people to help clean, to help organize, to do food drives. Food insecurity, unfortunately, is a huge part of living in a city that has no rent control, no affordable housing, no equitable social services. So one of the ways that you can help your community is to be involved in a mutual aid project like this. It's an easy one to take part of. So I I like to plug that one because literally anybody can do it. You do not need a special skill. And then your Instagram. Oh yeah, my Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) My Instagram is Joey Ramona Tattooer. 
And if you want to look at it, you can. That's it for today's episode, folks. Go ahead and follow at the Teardown Pod on all socials. Make sure to leave a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. The Teardown is hosted by me, Vegas Inc. This episode was edited and mixed by Ali Sirwa and produced in collaboration with Edit Audio. And I'll see y'all at our next session.